Hey everybody, I'm Brian Grossman, Editor-in-Chief of the Colorado Springs Independent. Welcome to the Indy 15, the weekly show that recaps everything you need to know in the news. Uh, guests in studio today are Greta Anderson, reporter with the Colorado Springs Indy, and Helen Lewis, who is managing editor of the Colorado Springs Indy. Welcome, Greta and Helen. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. Thanks. Sure. Uh, we're here to talk to Greta a little bit about a story that appeared, uh, it's been two weeks now, I think. Yep. Um, September 14th, it was the uh, all-in-their-head story about the fentanyl situation where um, it appears police officers and maybe other first responders across the country have had interactions with fentanyl that didn't turn out well, but we're learning that it may have been uh, all in their head. Can you go into some detail about yeah. that story and how it came to, came about? Sure. Well, um, we uh, decided to dig more into this issue after Corey Hutchins, a journalism um, chair at Columbia, or sorry, Colorado College. Um, he uh, posted in his newsletter a little bit about the um, expert opinion on fentanyl overdoses and this experience of cops, um, a couple that have gone viral um, over the past few years, mm-hmm. um, appearing to overdose on fentanyl by simply either being in the presence of the drug during a search um, or by touching it while um, searching uh, vehicles and things like that. Um, but we had two examples of that that happened um, around Colorado Springs over the summer. Um, one incident was in Fountain and one was with police in Monument. Um, and so those kind of sparked some discussion in local media about how it's covered in media, mm-hmm. um, how we take these um, reports from police and don't really um, investigate them further when they happen. Um, but there is a pretty um, sound consensus among toxicologists that you cannot overdose by simply touching fentanyl mm-hmm. um, or by being in its presence. And so I brought that to the monument department and the fountain department to learn more about what happened during those incidents and um, maybe why they were thinking they were fentanyl overdoses. And what did we learn from the police? So uh, it is pretty confusing, and I they, um, they are reluctant to say and, and agree with those experts that um, you cannot overdose because they've s- seen things that look like overdoses with their own officers. Right. Uh, Monument, I believe, has three times, but this incident in Fountain was their first. Um, but what they told me, um, and, and this was pretty much the case for, for both departments, is they will do um, either field tests or uh, tests after the fact of both the substance, anything found on the officer's equipment, clothing, mm-hmm. gloves, if they were using them, um, as well as the bodies of the officers when they're transported to uh, a medical facility. And um, pretty much all of those tests came back with mixed results in their experiences. So mm-hmm. there was one example that kind of sticks in my mind from the monument department Um, where an officer encountered like a liquid substance that was suspected to be fentanyl. Um, But later, and and she, you know, had um, the symptoms of overdose, was hospitalized, and later um, her blood tested positive for an opioid. Hmm. However, the substance itself tested negative for an opioid. So Hmm. there's kind of this confusion in in the the testing and the data itself, they say, doesn't really support um, any conclusion right. in these types of situations. So they're hesitant to say, you know, absolutely an officer cannot overdose on the scene when they're simply touching or in the right. vicinity of fentanyl because they believe it's happened mm-hmm. before. Um, and, and another 
point about um, just kind of an interesting point from the the fountain officer from July um, who had a suspected overdose is he was told by the emergency room doctor that cared for him that um, he was not experiencing an overdose, but to this day still believes he was. So there's this kind of um, belief and sense that they have that it can happen, even though there's experts out there that Mm -hmm. say it can't. And we talked to, uh, you talked to Dr. Leon Kelly, mm-hmm. El Paso County Coroner. What, what did Leon tell you? So Leon pretty much said the same thing as um, the other toxicology experts out there. Um, the consensus is you cannot overdose from being yeah. in the vicinity or um, just simply touching it. He emphasized that unless, um, you know, you could inhale it, um, an overdose, but unless it's a very, very large amount, you can't. Um, in, in most cases with emergency responders, it's not a you're not inhaling a very large amount. It doesn't really stick around in the air. Um, that can be another myth is that it, it enters the air. If you open up a Ziploc baggie and there's press pills in there, it enters the air mm. and can get on your face. Um, he says, you know, that's not very, very, very likely. Yeah. Um, but he does sympathize with the officers and the, the departments um, who want to be as cautious as possible. Um, and, um, you know, he, he gave me some background on why this myth has um, uh, kind of pervaded for several years. And it, it's because the the potency of fentanyl is so high. And with these illicit pills, you really never know how much fentanyl is in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this level of anxiety that officers feel. Um, sure. And um, while, you know, a certain level of anxiety, he said, is, is fine mm-hmm. in those types of situations. And you want to always wear the nitrile gloves, which are usually those black, thicker gloves um, when you're handling them. But um, he emphasized that, you know, officers and departments should know that it's not it's not possible. It's not as dangerous as maybe some people think it is. Yeah. And he he acknowledged that there's an overreaction a lot of the time. And and it is potentially like a a, a panic reaction or or something in the mind of the officers. It's interesting. And from a journalism standpoint and an editing standpoint, you would think the police would be a valid source of information on this, yeah. but here's Corey over at Colorado College saying that uh, journalists weren't going far enough to vet what the police were saying. So yeah. I think a lot of journalists mm-hmm. and even editors would say, well, a police chief or somebody with CSPD or that kind of thing, that's a valid source on on a topic like this. But then you hear other people saying, yeah, yeah you're... When it turns out there's so much... Sub- about this particular thing, you know, uh, and what they're seeing, what they think they're seeing may not be what they're actually seeing. That Mm -hmm. becomes an issue. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and it makes editors' jobs harder because then we have to think, is this really a valid source on this topic or do we need to go and talk to to other people? Yeah, and I think our immediate reaction when we see that type of release from a police department is like, oh, my gosh, there's Mm -hmm. an officer who down and Mm -hmm. being hospitalized for a potential exposure and – you know, we don't want to see that. The community sure. doesn't want to mm-hmm. see that. And it's it's something that I think a lot of journalists would want people to know. But um, I, I think just taking one step further and talking to a couple of experts, even just looking mm-hmm. online at what the CDC has up for mm-hmm. fentanyl and mm-hmm. um, protection for emergency responders, they link to all those studies that say mm-hmm. it's highly, highly unlikely for them to overdose. So just going that one extra step in those cases where we get releases like that, I think could be um, beneficial. And I'm glad Corey brought it up because I think at least our media market is very well aware of, of 
that yeah. type of thing now. Well, and I remember seeing one of those YouTube videos, and I think I even shared it after yeah. we decided to do this story of yeah. a police officer who was uh, who had come in contact with fentanyl and was having health issues. And and I even told people after I saw that, uh, and fentanyl was, you know, the, the drug du jour in the news, and mm-hmm. said, oh, yeah, it's dangerous stuff. You know, if you mm-hmm. touch it, uh, this could <laughs> happen. And so... Yeah, you got to be careful, right? Yeah, yeah. You can't believe everything you see. Yeah. Well, it was a great story, um, but we have even more news to talk about uh, because, like I said, that was two weeks ago. So we've we've got uh, the paper that's on newsstands right now. That's our fall arts preview. Um, it's got everything that's going on arts wise, uh, you know, through the end of the year and even going into next year a bit. I think. Uh, but we also have some solid news in here, too. Do you want to yeah, talk, that's Helen, right. yeah. about A Cut Above? We should say, too, that even though it's two weeks ago, Greta's story you can find still online. You can find it online. CSIndy.com. Yep. Yeah, Along with all read. our old indie stuff. Yeah, so, yep. um, yeah this one, uh, this story is a great story out of Community Works. Um, it was done by Anna, who can't be here because she's our correspondent on the other side of the country. <laughs> right. Um, so Anna Fiorino wrote this. Um, so Community Works... Um, works to help people with barriers to employment, particularly um, justice-involved, formerly incarcerated um, people, to get training, um, all kinds of skills, um, wardrobe, soft skills, and to get job placements and jobs. So Uh one of the things that they have... um, one of the things they have in their centre um, is um, a barber shop. It's basically the um, Joaquin Mobley, who you can sit well if you're watching <laughs> on YouTube. You yep. can see Joaquin here. He he describes it as the gateway mm-hmm. um, into community works. So the barber shop um, is really a, an essential part of community works. And what they're doing is taking this um, awareness that a barber shop is a place where people tend to open up and confide in their barbers and speak freely um they're taking that a step further and getting mental health support training Mm -hmm. for their barbers so that um it goes beyond it's it's still very much like the conversation you would have but the the barber is trained um to help you make progress trained to um respond um in helpful ways Mm -hmm. in terms of mental health um and in terms of what kind of resources you as their client might need um, and it's also a way for them to gauge your needs in other areas that community work serves and sort of um, a pathway into those services that you might need. Mm-hmm. So um, there's actual formal training that they're getting and it does also help the barbers because they can um, be paid for providing this service as well. Right. Um, so there's there's a lot of detail in this, but there's a couple of things that are interesting that Anna um Included in this was um, there's a Harvard study, um, uh, Barbers as Mental Health, Suicide Prevention, sorry, Suicide Prevention mm-hmm. and Interpersonal Violence Gatekeepers in the Community. Um, so there are there are a lot of studies um, and work on how barbers can really serve mental health needs with their clients. And so this is what Community Works is doing is taking that extra step mm-hmm. with their barbers. So. Um, as you can see, the story is a lot longer than what I've described. Yep. Um, but <laughs> Plenty left a, to find out. Yeah, it's actually it's a really good read. Um, and Joaquin and also Charles Smith, who's with Community Works, they talk from a personal point of view, um, having been justice involved, um, mm-hmm. about how this sort of thing would have helped them and how they see, how they see it helping others. Yep. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah.
Uh, also in this paper, we have uh, Pam Zubek's story about Old Stage Road and the talks of maybe gating that overnight and yeah. some of the feedback from the community. Yeah, yeah. Um, so check that out. That's on newsstands right now. Fall Arts Preview, the story about community works, uh, Old Stage Road, and more. Uh, I also want to talk just a little bit about next week's paper because it's a doozy. Uh, we have food editor Matt Schnipper's State of Plate story. That's going to be the cover story next week. Uh, and with that will be five podcasts about uh, basically a deep dive into the restaurant, food and drink industry here in Colorado Springs uh, with some local big names when it comes to yeah. food and drink. And uh, we, we have their opinions uh, voiced that will both be in print and through our podcast, State of Plate. That comes out September 28th. Yeah, this is going to be so interesting because it's so much has changed. Since Even yesterday. Since, yeah, <laughs> seriously, yeah. I mean, it was already changing, but since the pandemic, there's sort For of sure, been this yeah. explosion. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a great read. What do you think about the food scene here in Colorado Springs? Uh, What's I your think opinion? I just sometimes I look back to when I, I've been here for nine years now, yeah. and I look back and I can't believe how different it is. And I think there's so much going on. Um, Matt always dives into it. Every week when I edit Matt's work, I kind of make either mental notes or actually write down okay these are the places i need <laughs> to check out there, yeah. yeah because it's so there's so much more going on than we know mm-hmm. by just word of mouth or walking down the street or whatever um and so digging into that i think is going to show us how far we've come yeah and yeah. greta you're pretty new here yeah yeah how long have you yeah. been here now just over a year okay yeah what, and you came from the east coast i did what um, do you think of the food scene here yeah i mean it seems very up and coming um there's there's a lot of independent restaurants mm-hmm. um which didn't really surprise me i mean this is a pretty um big metropolitan area mm-hmm. so i knew there was going to be some um you know locals and and especially in the downtown area, Mm -hmm. um, some independent restaurants. But I've really enjoyed it so far. I try to not – I know we have a lot of chains here too, so I try to to avoid those as much as I can. But, um, yeah, I think the the vibrant um, independent restaurant community is is really strong. Hmm. I think we are, because of our geography too, and you talked about the chains, I think we're at this vortex of – cultures within the country that sort of meet and you have you know the military we're sort of transient Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. they bring a lot of their food tastes from all over the world and that gets catered to in the city but i and somebody said they think i'm wrong but when it happened i said we've got to be the only state with a whataburger sorry the only city with a whataburger and an in and out because that's like texas and the west coast right right i've perfectly here but i think somebody said no there's Maybe Den- Denver. Well, no, I don't think Denver has a Whataburger yet. We're getting a second Whataburger. We're getting on a second Whataburger. <laughs> uh, yeah, so more is coming. Um, they could be two long lines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember. I won't go into all the details of this, but when the first Whataburger opened up, I was staying at a hotel near it. Oh, yeah. Because of a house issue. And you had the bird's eye view. Yeah, we could see the line wrap all the way around where we were staying. It was yeah. re- and four hour waits, five hour waits. Still for, blows my mind. For a cheeseburger. Have I've never been to Whataburger ever. Yeah, have you sat in the line? <laughs> I've not. And when In N Out opened, I know there were like yeah. even eight, nine, ten hour lines to get it yeah. into yeah. the In N Out. So. I remember when we first reported on that In N Out was coming here, people got. Lost their mind. So excited on social media and everything. I couldn't believe it. It was the biggest story of the year, I'm pretty (laughs) sure. So we don't have much time left, but I do want to touch on another of Greta's stories. Mm. It's coming out next week. This is the free lunch story. 
Um, talk about that just real briefly. Yeah, so food, but kind of a yeah, different, different angle different here. Different angle on food. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's a, a ballot measure um, coming up this November um, that Coloradans will be able to vote on about uh, whether the state um, will provide funding for free school lunch mm-hmm. um, and breakfast um, for every student in the state. Um, so this would be funded by um, decreasing the tax deductions for those who make more than $300,000 a year in Colorado. Um, and there's a lot of interest in it. Obviously, the the anti-hunger organizations, both here in the Springs and statewide, are, are very um, motivated to get this passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some of the school dis- districts around Colorado Springs, it's... Um, uh, said to be really needed. Um, District 2 is kind of interesting because they already, and I, I focus a lot on them in the story, um, because they already provide... Dave. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Dave, come on. <laughs> they already provide um, free meals through a federal program because of how many students in that district need them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I talked a little bit with them uh, about what it's like to just have students come into the cafeteria and go straight to the lunch line. Um, I actually visited Centennial Elementary School on Monday um, and, or was it Tuesday? It might have been Tuesday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, just kind of seeing um, definitely a big difference from when I went to school. Everyone pretty much brought their lunch, but there's mm-hmm. a very small group of students who brought their lunch and then the rest just went into line and really enjoyed their school lunch. So um, one of the main arguments for it is it reduces um, stigma for kids who get free reduced lunch. um, And you can kind of see in that uh, Centennial Elementary School, just all the kids getting the same exact thing. Mm -hmm. So it kind of standardizes it for everyone. And they're all seeming happy with it. Centennial is District 2, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. I thought it was interesting too, real fast, Mm -hmm. that you talked about um, how it also reduces the barriers for the families applying because it can be kind of a difficult process for them to apply to get those free lunches, mm-hmm. yeah. that requirement went away during the pandemic and yeah. it worked really well. So they saw this huge spike in people who needed it actually accessing right. it. And that would be something that would um, really decrease the pressure on the families. Yeah, and that's one of the big arguments for is the experience during the pandemic when they mm-hmm. saw that increase. It's like, okay, well, we know people need it. We know that food insecurity also increased during the pandemic. So maybe there's mo- even more people mm-hmm. now who mm-hmm. need it. Um, and so um, the, the advocates are looking at it like, why don't we just continue this program? Mm-hmm. It's clearly needed. And correct me if I'm wrong, that's Prop FF? Yes. Is that right? Yeah. I think uh, free food, Healthy school right? meals for all okay. um, is yeah. what the program would be called. Yeah. All right. That's easier. Yeah. <laughs> prop, prop yeah, Proposition FF. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Well, uh, I want to thank Greta Anderson and Helen Lewis for being in studio today. Sure. Thanks for joining us. Uh, don't forget to pick up this week's Indie uh, on Newsstands Now. It's the Fall Arts Preview. Um, and let us know what you thought about the show or the paper uh, on social media. We read all your comments. If you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe. Click the bell so that you get notifications of new shows. Uh, this show was produced by Dave Gardner and Nick Raven. Videocast was directed by Nick Raven, distributed by our digital team, which is made up of Sean Cassidy and Michaela Jones. Dustin Glatz is our art director. Amy Gillentine's our publisher. I'm Brian Grossman, editor-in-chief. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of the Indie 15.